Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to read, we're going to finish reading Psalm 78 this morning. We read the first half last time. Corey read it with a theme of telling the next generation the glory of our God and His great work so that we don't forget Him and rebel against Him. You see God's commitment to His grace and His covenant uh, in this, this psalm, but how important it is to remember His great works, especially from our, our perspective in fulfillment in Christ and in the gospel, that we don't forget Him and turn from Him. But look in verse 40. We'll pick it up there. <clears throat> how often they rebelled against Him in the wilderness and grieved Him in the desert. They tested God again and again and proved the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember His power. Check that out. Or the day when He redeemed them from the foe. When He performed His signs in Egypt and His marvels in the fields of Zoan, He turned their rivers to blood so that they could not drink of their streams. He sent among them swarms of flies which devoured them and frogs which destroyed them. He gave their crops to the destroying locust and the fruit of their labor to the locust. He destroyed their vines with hail and their sycamores with frost. He gave over their cattle to hail and their flocks to thunderbolts. He let loose on them his burning anger, wrath, indignation, and distress, a company of destroying angels. He made a path for his anger and did not spare them from death, but gave their lives to the plague. He struck down every firstborn in Egypt the first fruits of their strength in the tents of Ham. Then he led out his people like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. He led them in safety so that they were not afraid, but the sea overwhelmed their enemies. And he brought them to his holy land, to the mountain which his right hand had won. He drove out nations before them and apportioned for them apportioned them for a possession and settled the tribes of Israel in their tents. Yet they tested and rebelled against the Most High God and did not keep His testimonies, but turned away and acted treacherously like their fathers. They twisted like a deceitful bow. For they provoked Him to anger with their high places and moved Him to jealousy with their idols. When God heard, He was full of wrath and He utterly rejected Israel. He forsook his dwelling at Shiloh, the tent where he had dwelt among mankind, and delivered his power to captivity, his glory to the hand of the foe. He gave his people over to the sword and vented his wrath on his heritage. Fire devoured young men, and their young women had no marriage song. Their priests fell by the sword, and their widows made no lamentation. Then the Lord awoke from, as from sleep like, a, sleep, like a strong man shouting because of wine, and he put on his adversaries to rout and put them to everlasting shame. He rejected the tent of Joseph, but he did, he did not choose the tribe of Ephraim, but he chose the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loves. He built his sanctuary like the high heavens, like the earth, which he has founded forever. He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds, from following the nursing ewes, and brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel, his inheritance. 
With upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. Lord, we, we come before you and thank you for your word. We thank you for, yes, for David and his shepherding of the people, but for the true and greater David, the Lord Jesus Christ, the son of David who has come and come to, to save, to sanctify, to glorify his people. Lord, help us to take the lesson from this psalm and, and work not to forget you, not to forget the glory of your deeds, not to forgive, I mean, forget the glorious gospel of our salvation. To not forget you and turn from you and rebel against you and be disciplined, but to press into remembering and knowing and growing, living under your shepherding care with joy. Bless us as a people, Lord, to be those who are every day remembering you and growing in our knowledge of you and of your grace to us in Christ Jesus. I pray for those who don't know you this morning, who are maybe think they do and they don't, or maybe they know they don't, Lord. Maybe small children up to the oldest adults, Lord, for any who do not know you, that gospel seeds would be planted, that souls would be reaped, there would be conversion of sinners, and there would be sanctification or growth in grace of your saints, those of us who do know you. Lord, you never forget us. Help us never to forget you and your glorious grace. Be at work building your church building your people even as we go through this worship service in these rooms or over this live stream or through the recordings. Build up Mount Zion which you love. Your church. We give you all the praise and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me. Let's sing together. And can it be number 180?
Amen. You may be seated. That would be a good one to memorize, right? Sing regularly in family worship and individual worship. Turn to Book of Romans, chapter 15. We are sort of coming to a conclusion of a section on unity, and uh, I want to read from verses 1 to 13 of chapter 15, and then we will look at verses 8 to 13. This is God's Word. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing your name. And again, it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Thus far God's word. Let's pray. Lord, this is your word. So we pray for your spirit to attend, to bless, to use your word as it goes forth. To call your people to yourself and to grow your people in grace. Help me to preach your word as the very word of God in the power of the Spirit. Help us to hear it as the word of God in the power of the Spirit that we might be lifting Christ high and being conformed into His image. So convert and sanctify your people. Build your church. Bless the preaching and the hearing of your word. For we ask it in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. 
Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and heaven and nature sing. You say, Jeff, you're confused this morning. You wore red. And you're quoting joy to the world. Do you think it's Christmas? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. All year round we can talk about the coming of Christ and, and, and the benefits of His coming. But, I mean, I don't want to burst your bubble about joy to the world. That hymn is primarily written about His second coming. Read it and think about that. And you'll see that. Not that it's not appropriate to sing around Christmas, but it's appropriate to sing other than Christmas. It's appropriate to quote and think about. Because this morning we're going to see, as we look into Romans 15 and as we're finishing this section on unity, that Jesus came to bring joy to the world. He came to bring joy to Jew and Gentile together in His church. He came that we might be, you just heard me read it, filled with all joy and peace in believing and therefore abounding in hope. All because, we heard it in the, in the lyric, the Lord is come. Therefore, joy to the world. Joy Biblical joy, this kind of joy, gospel joy, transcends our feelings and persons and circumstances. Because it's not mere circumstance-based, what we think of as happiness. But it's this deep-seated contentment and joy in God that we carry with us through all of our circumstances. So that we can say, whatever my God ordains is right. We can walk in joy even though we might be shedding tears of sorrow. Because Christ came to bring to us an abiding joy that that is part of the fuel that fuels our life of living for Him. He came to bring, with a covenant purpose, to bring joy to Jew and Gentile in one body, His church, the Israel of God, however you want to say that. The fulfillment of the pictures of the old covenant. So we'll see that it was always his purpose to bring Jew and Gentile together in covenant hope and therefore covenant joy. The church was always God's plan A. And Gentile inclusion was all through the Old Testament. And understanding this, and especially as the Roman church would understand this, but even us understanding it will fuel the unity that Paul's been calling for ever since verse 1 of chapter 14 down through verse 7 Uh, of chapter 15 this is part of the fuel of that joy let's just do a little bit of review we've been studying through the book of romans we've seen paul declare his desire to go to rome and preach the gospel he's told us that the gospel is the thesis of the entire letter so he begins sharing and laying out the gospel that he preaches he begins by saying god loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life He didn't, did he? He began with demonstrating the fact that the the unrighteous suppress the truth. That there's Jews and Gentiles are lost. There's none good, no, not one. All need a Savior. See, we must begin our gospel presentations that way. 
Because the good news is good in comparison to the bad news is bad. And the bad news is that we are sinners who deserve condemnation, be our Jew or Gentile. And then he began to show us that Christ is the answer for our problem. That Christ has come to live for us and die for us and be raised from the grave. That Christ is the the source of the righteousness that we need to be reconciled to God. That we are justified by faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. So that when we trust in Christ, we're united to Him. We're pardoned for all of our sin and accepted as righteous in His sight. Only for the righteousness of Christ received by faith alone and he also grows in grace those he justifies so to be justified is to be forgiven and clothed in his righteousness and adopted as his as his child as god's child and then he begins to grow us in grace and we saw that beginning in chapter six and then we saw in chapters nine through eleven his sovereign application of the redemption purchased by christ and then we have been working in the therefores Therefore, since the gospel is true, ever since chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says he's, what he has just put down on paper in the first 11 chapters, he summarizes it by the mercies of God and says in response to those mercies, it's our responsibility to present ourselves as a living sacrifice for him, a holy sacrifice, which is our spiritual worship, by not being conformed to the world but conformed to his word and therefore humble and gracious and loving and I won't re-preach all of, all of that, uh, those sections. But that's what he's been laying out since verse 1 of chapter 12 is what it looks like to be a living sacrifice and to live together in a ch- one church in Christ. And that's kind of where we sort of are capstoning this morning as we think about it. So we're going to look at verses 18, 8 to 13, and I kept that as a unit because I think... I want you to see how this flows and how it makes sense. So without verse 13, we, we, we lose a connection there. So I'm, we're going to look at verses 8 to 13, and I titled it Joy to the World because that's really what this is about, eminent joy. But the main point, Christ came in fulfillment of God's promises to bring the joy of his salvation to Jew and Gentile in one body. Christ came in fulfillment of God's promises to bring the joy of his salvation to Jew and Gentile in one body. First, Christ came to bring joy to the Jews. Look there back in, the, in verse 8. For I tell you that Christ became a servant. That is an astounding statement. We've been seeing as the model for how we're to live the model of Jesus self-sacrificial, self-sacrificing himself for us. And we read right over that. Christ, Messiah, the eternal Son of God, took a true human nature to come and live under his own law and fulfill it and die for our sins and be raised from the grave and offer us salvation as a free gift. He says, that all happened. Christ became a servant to the circumcised. That's, that's talking about Jew there. Christ was born a Jew. He, the Jews were gathered as a people for a purpose, and the purpose through which the Jews were gathered and maintained was that the Christ or the Messiah might come through them. And he's, Paul is telling you that, God, that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, to the Jewish people, and he had 
He had a purpose. He was born a Jew in fulfillment of prophecy to accomplish the redemption in accord with God's covenant promises. God had promised to bring a Savior, we'll see in a minute. And He is that Savior that is the seed of Abraham and then all who are in Him. And that's more than I want to talk about right now. But He was born a Jew to accomplish God's purposes. Look what it says. The purpose of His coming was to show God's truthfulness. So this is the first purpose. You're going to see, we're going to see two in orders. We'll see an in order to and an in order that. And they, they flow out of this statement. That Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness. To prove God's truthfulness. The truthfulness of His promises. To prove that God, if He makes promises, He keeps them. God does not make promises that He does not keep. And there are many covenant promises in the Old Testament. But look what it says there. His first purpose was in order to. Watch for things like that when you're reading your Bible. It's it's telling you a a purpose or a, a result, outflow. In order to first confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. So his first purpose in coming was to confirm the promises to the, to, the, to the fathers, to the patriarchs. Think Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. His promises to Israel through them. So Christ is coming in fulfillment of those promises and to show God's truthfulness in keeping His promises. Those promises to the Jewish people. See, we've already discussed this quite a bit. If you go back to chapter 9, You saw that we've discussed uh, Israel and the promises to them. We'll bring bring that up in in, in a minute. But um, he came in order to show God's truthfulness to his promises. What promises? Well, I won't mention the Old Testament is all about Jesus. And I won't lay that out. We've done that in the past and not exhaustively. But you can go on the website and look for a road to Emmaus and, and get some information on that from that series. But the very first promise, the very first gospel in the Bible is Genesis 3.15. After the fall, where, where God promised, makes a promise here that is the seed that flowers throughout the rest of the Old Testament and into and then full bloom in Christ. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Now watch this. He shall bruise your head. Literally, NIV is better probably here. He shall crush your head. This coming offspring of the woman, virgin born, Christ, this coming offspring of the woman is going to crush your head. Speaking to Satan, working through the serpent. That's how you kill a snake, isn't it? You can cut the tail off, he'll still come bite you. You take the head away, snake's done. It's kind of used as a figure of speech for taking a leader out when you're, when you're conquering a people. But I remember one time, and, and I'm not going to get into all my misspent youth, but I will tell you one story. And I was riding down the road one night, late at night, and I saw laying across the road a copperhead. Don't mess with copperheads. They'll come after you. Young and dumb. No, I shouldn't have had a gun. A lot of stuff. I mean, God is merciful, okay? But I see this copperhead. Well, in the country, guys have got their guns in the back window and everything. But anyway, I see this copperhead in the road. 
And I got my pistol out of the car to shoot the copperhead. Bang. I missed him. And guess what he did? He turned and came straight at me. And God's angels protected me in many ways. Reflex. I went, boom. Luckiest shot of my life. Hit him right in the head. He didn't come after me anymore. Just run over it with the car and keep moving, okay? But I crushed his head. Figuratively speaking, right? Christ crushed the head. He defeated Satan. He, he accomplished redemption by, look at the rest of that verse. He shall bruise your head or crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. He will be injured in the process, but you're going to be crushed. This coming Messiah, this coming seed of the woman, this Savior. This is the first gospel in Genesis 3.15. Then we work on through the Scriptures, and if you read Genesis, you'll see we're quickly moving to Abraham as we're going through a lot of different stuff. All good, and all true, all history, all of that. But then God makes certain promises to Abraham. He says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and from your kindred and from your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God promises Abraham land, seed, and blessing in his covenant there. But part of that promise was that in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And then many promises that's flowering throughout the New Testament to the coming of Christ who's coming and proving God true to all of His promises. But we saw this in chapter 9 when we saw verses 4 and 5 when Paul was talking about his burden for the Israelites. His brothers, according to the flesh, who, though they were Israelites, they had denied God and denied His, his covenant purpose and rejected His Son but Paul rehearses, he says in verses nine, chapter 9, 4 and 5, they are the Israelites and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship and the promises and to them belong the patriarchs, their connection with our text. And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen pointing them to Christ as the fulfillment of all of that, even in his burdens and praying for them. And I'm not going to re-preach that text. I'll let you go back and listen to the sermons in Romans chapter 9 if you'd like to do that. But look at the point here. I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised. He was born a Jew to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. And you can just hear the Jews maybe in the church who are, who are struggling with this connection with Gentiles say, yeah, that's right. He's a Jew. He came for the Jewish people. He came to fulfill the covenants given to us. Which is all true unless it becomes a source of pride that exalts oneself over others and then it gets really nasty. But the first part of the point there is true that Christ 
came to bring joy to the Jews. And we see that it gets wrapped up in verse 13. So we'll lay that aside for now and come back to it. But all of that is true. Jewish Messiah fulfilling the promises, confirmed the promises given to the patriarchs to whom Israel belonged, the covenants and the promises and all those things we looked about. Christ came to bring joy to the Jews, the joy of salvation to the Jews. Number two, he came to bring the joy, bring joy to the Gentiles, the joy of salvation. And he spends a little more ink on this part because not only do the Gentiles need to know that they're not second-class citizens, they've always been part of the plan. The Jews need to know that as well. So you can see in, in, uh, in here, he says, Notice I said there were going to be two in orders. And in verse 9, we get another in order. In verse 8b, we saw in order to confirm the promises to the patriarchs. That's, that's, that's one in order, one outflow of Christ's coming. And the second in order is in verse 9. In order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Look at me. God's covenant promises to Abraham were not just for the Jews. God's covenant promises to Abraham were not just for the Jews. I mean, you saw it in the end of God's promises there in Genesis. Through you, all the nations... All the families of the earth shall be blessed. God's covenant promises to Abraham were for the Jews and the Gentiles as well. Look at the second in order that. In order to and in order that. Christ came for both these groups. Christ came to bring one new man, Ephesians says. The fulfillment of. The people of God in the New Testament are the the fulfillment of the picture and the shadow in the old. In order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. Jews and Gentiles were always unified in God's covenant purposes and promises. And the church at Rome really needed to get that. And I get the struggle. I mean, you even see, if you read through Acts, you see Peter struggling with it. You see the apostles. You go to to Acts chapter 15, the Jerusalem council. This took some work. To understand, and God had to work through the household of Cornelius and some others to, so that they could see, wow, look at this. God's doing the same thing in the Gentiles He's doing in us. Bringing this to pass. And, and so helping the Gentiles see who they are in Christ as well as the Jews see who the Gentiles are in Christ. That they were always part of God's covenant mercy. That they are one in Christ now and members of the same body. The Gentiles once were, yes, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, but now they're fellow citizens. Go read Ephesians chapter 2, the last half, and I don't know how you could ever come out if you really dig into that, that Israel and the church are separate. But anyway, the Jews and the Gentiles were always unified in God's covenant purposes. And the church in Rome needed to get that, and the church today needs to get that, and everybody needs to get that. So we're one. We're eliminating reasons for separation we're feeding into unity and we've saw a lot of ways doing that through chapter 14 and into 15 paul reminds the roman christians of this in order to encourage them to do what he said in chapter in verse 7 we already looked at that last time therefore welcome one another as christ has welcomed you for the glory of god in Rome, the barrier existed. You see it between the strong and the weak, and a lot of that had to do with differences between Jew and Gentile. 
in, in some ways, and it was due to a failure to understand and apply God's covenant promises and their fulfillment in Christ. Believing Gentiles are Abraham's seed as well. In fact, believing Gentiles are more Abraham's seed than unbelieving Jews. Because we don't make a Jew externally. Remember Romans chapter 2. Becoming a true Jew happens in the heart. When we turn and we trust in Christ. Paul says in Galatians 3.29, if you are Christ's, and remember who he's talking to there. This is in Galatians. He's mostly Gentiles. If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring and heirs according to promise. That same promise given to the Jews we talked about is inclusive of the Gentiles. You saw it all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. You saw it in Romans 9. We see it here. Gentiles were always part of the plan. Christ was uh, the, world, the promise to Abraham uh, that he would inherit the land and flowers out to a promise that he would inherit the world. We saw that in chapter uh, 4, that Christ's people that he always intended to come for were a people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language. We're not looking to go back into the Old Testament and do things that way. We're progressing and there's a whole, whole other sermon, a lot of sermons. But the thing I want you to see and the thing the Gentiles there needed to see is that you are included if you're a Gentile believer in Christ. You are Abraham's seed. The promise was made to Abraham and his seed, which is Christ, Paul says in Galatians chapter 3. And therefore, all in Christ. And that was the true fulfillment of that. It was always God's intention to bring the Jews and Gentiles together in Christ, in one body, his church. And then Paul gives some scriptural support to this. And that's really what he's doing. He's taking the Jews' Bible and saying, look, it was there all along. The church is not a plan B. God always intended to include the Gentiles. And so he quotes from, and when you take all these quotes together, it's like quoting from the entirety of the Old Testament. It's kind of what he's representatively doing here as he quotes from different sections of the Old Testament. He's saying this word that you have in the, the, the Jewish canon, the, what we call the Old Testament, it was clear and it wasn't just in one place. You see it in, in Abraham as well as all the way through that it was always God's intention to bring the Gentiles in. The Gentiles were, the, the unbelieving branches in Israel were broken off, see in Romans chapter 11, and the Gentiles grafted in. But look in these, some of these quotes that he quotes. The first quote is from Psalm 1849 and or 2 Samuel 22:50. But he says this, quoting from probably the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, another quote. This is, this is from Deuteronomy 32, 43. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, notice how he says, and again, and again, and again. He's just kind of piling up the evidence. He said, I want you to really get this. I want you to understand this is all through your Bible. Again, he quotes Psalm 117. 
Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And then finishes it off with this quote from Isaiah 11.10. Now watch this. The root of Jesse will come. Not just the son of... (laughs) Right? The root. The root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. Allusion to resurrection and enthronement of Christ. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him the Gentiles will hope. That's Old Testament. That's Jewish Old Testament scriptures where he's coming through and showing parts of each part, verses from each part to say, look, the entirety of the Old Testament was pointing you to this fact. You really should have got it. I mean, there's some people who don't get it now, but it's, it's, it's true. The Gentiles were always part of God's covenant plan with the Jews in one new man in the church. So Christ not only came to bring joy uh, to the Jews, he came to bring the joy of salvation to the Gentiles. And why, why am I using all this joy language? Well, because in the context, verse 13, at kind of the tail end of this paragraph, is, is that's what it's doing. Look at verse 13. Christ came to bring Jew and Gentile together in joy. Verse 13. Now watch this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. You know, you, you, it's, it's true. You could probably justly make fun of Southerners in a lot of ways. But Southern English is a lot better than Northern English or other English because we distinguish between the singular you and the plural you. You and y'all. And it's clear what you're talking about. If I say y'all, you know I'm not just talking to Cliff. I'm talking to y'all. Why are you taking us into southern lingo? Well, just to illustrate the point, you might want to mark it in your Bible. In verse 13, may the God of hope fill you, that you is plural, not singular. May he fill y'all with all joy and peace in believing. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you, that, that is plural you as well. This is corporate. This is, he's bringing the body together right here. He's, he's bringing Jew and Gentile together, those he's just talking about and talking to. And he's ending this kind of paragraph, this, this little section, with a benediction where he says, Now, since all that's true and, and, and with you adopting it, then may the Lord God, may the God of hope, pay attention when you, when you see different names and titles of God. Hope from Him. He is the God of hope. He's the source of hope. May the God of hope fill y'all, you all, with all joy and peace in believing. In believing what? 
And believing verse 8, for I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show, to prove God's truthfulness to his promises for both Jew and Gentile. Christ came to fulfill God's promises of one who would crush the serpent's head, of one who would save his people, of one who would be the Lord our righteousness. The reason why we can be forgiven of all of our sin and accepted as righteous in God's sight is because Christ became a servant to prove God's truthfulness. So may you, may you believe, this is paring it down, believe the gospel and walk in the joy that is yours and do it together. Don't miss that part. This is not Lone Ranger Christianity. This is may you May you, God's church, be filled with all joy and peace in believing the good news of the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the one who accomplishes the redemption promised in God's covenant promises. Christ, why did He come? I've already said it. I'm going to say it again. He came when born under His own law in humble estate. See, that's what we're going to talk about tonight is Christ's humiliation and then his exaltation through the catechism questions. And see, through Christ's humiliation and exaltation is your joy, not the Super Bowl. I'm just telling you, have good priorities. Right? I'm not going to meddle with that too much. Just let that examine you. Which would you rather do? But, but we're going to come together and we're going to talk about this, this fuel of your joy some more tonight. It's Christ's humiliation and exaltation. Christ lived under his own law, not because he needed to, but because we needed him to. Why? Because he, like he said to the Apostle John, he did it to fulfill all righteousness because we had broken all righteousness. Remember Romans chapter 3, none good, no, not one. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We cannot make ourselves right with God. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot be good enough. We cannot even start to be good enough. When we stop comparing ourselves to one another and start comparing ourselves to God and His law and to Christ, and we see that. So Christ fulfilled all righteousness for His people and then he went to the cross and drank the cup of wrath that, 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 God's, that was due our sin. A holy and righteous and just God must judge and condemn sin. We are sinners. We should be condemned. But we're not. Why? Because he lived for us and then he died for us. The soul that sins shall die. He took our penalty upon himself and he drank that cup dry so that he could say it is finished before he left the cross took all of that condemnation. Think about, you, you can't even begin to think about how he suffered. But your eternal hell went upon him. And so did mine and so did all of his people. And then he went through the grave. He didn't stop there and was raised the third day so that we could have salvation as a free gift because he had earned it. That's what it means that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to prove God's truthfulness is that he came to die for our sin. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and He was raised the third day. And salvation is through trusting in Him. Through turning initial repentance and change in the direction of the soul from running from God to turning to Him 
to receiving Christ. Out of grief and conviction over our sin, we receive Christ as our Savior. We believe and trust in Him. See, that's what Paul's been laying out in Romans. If you want an exposition of when he says Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, He was buried, He was raised the third day, that's the book of Romans. There's your expansion. We've been studying it. Are you trusting in Christ this morning, in Christ alone? Are you really trusting in Christ this morning and not yourself? Does your assurance flow from Christ and not you? Those are all good questions. The point is this. We said that Christ came to bring joy. And here's what you must hear me say. Lasting joy can never come from you. Not your feelings. Not your intellect. Not, not, nothing of you. Lasting joy can never come from you. Your thoughts, your feelings, your circumstances, your smarts, your strengths. Lasting joy will never come from you. Lasting joy must come to you. From outside of you. And that, that, that source is Christ. Lasting joy has to come from a lasting, stable source that does not change. And we find that in God's covenant, His promises, His fulfillment of those promises in Christ, in His amazing grace. See, true joy is produced by and sustained by the Holy Spirit. Look at the rest of that verse. May the God of hope fill you all or y'all with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you all or y'all may abound in hope. And I'm adding a little bit together. One mind, one heart, one voice. We've talked about that. Lasting joy must come to you. And the only true and lasting source is God's salvation in Christ. And that joy is produced and sustained by His Holy Spirit. Chosen by the Father, given to the Son, redeemed by the Son, good news of the gospel, applied by the Spirit. God is for us, not against us. And in the midst of even the deepest depths of our sorrow, we can have this joy if we're looking to Him. True joy is produced and sustained by the Holy Spirit through the gospel that we must never forget. Every other thing you seek for joy and for happiness will eventually show you that the bottom's not there. It won't last. Sure, there's a certain fleshly excitement when we get a new car or a new spouse or a new boyfriend or girlfriend or a new job or all. But notice how fleeting those things are. Notice how they, you know, it's, it's unstable. It's temporal. It, 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 it's like sand falling right through your fingers. Book of Ecclesiastes. I'll point you back to that study. But lasting, true joy, settled heart, lasting joy comes from knowing Jesus, being in Him, trusting and resting in Him, and growing in it. See, even as a believer, you can lose your joy when you begin to try to seek it in other places. You can put the burden of your joy on your spouse. They can't hold that up. They're not designed to. 
You can put it on your children or your parents. Or you fill in the blank. If it's anywhere other than your relationship with God through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, it's fleeting. It won't last. It's not meant to. There's a Christ-shaped hole in you that can only be filled by Him. Look to Him. Jew and Gentile, one Savior, one true and lasting joy. Joy to the world. Why? The Lord is come. The fulfillment of that. So how do I partake in this joy? Well, we've already said so. But number first application question. How do I partake of this joy? In believing. He told us. Look at the verse. That, that, that God may feel it, it's, it's through means here. It's not just automatic. Okay? May God fill you all with joy and peace in believing. In believing the good news of this Savior for Jew and Gentile. In believing this gospel of this Messiah who came to live for His people and die for His people and to be raised from the grave. In believing the message, Paul, that has given us the expansion in the book of Romans, telling us who, Christ, who we are in our need of a Savior, who Christ is, and He is that, that sufficient Savior. And how God applies that to us and and brings us to faith. See, joy comes to you, not from you. And it comes to you through God's grace in Christ. So you believe the gospel. And that's how you have access to this joy and grow in it. Number two, how do I spread this joy? Well, in proclaiming this gospel. In pointing others to this sufficient source of joy and peace in believing. Remember, joy to the world. The Lord has come. He's come for both Jew and Gentile. He's come for both weak and strong. He's come from, for, for people from all stratas and skin colors and nations and languages. He's come. Will He receive me? Yes. He turns none away who come to Him in faith. He's told us in the beginning of this book that the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. There you go. You want to spread this joy? Spread this gospel. To your children, to your neighbors, to your co-workers, to the world. I find it in Christ and I spread it by sharing the good news of Christ. And then how do I maintain this joy, lastly? On a personal level, you maintain this joy by fighting every day to remember the gospel. Martin Luther, and you've heard this before, he said, I preach the gospel to myself every day because I forget it every day. I wake up as a hardwired legalist and I have to be reminded who I am, who Christ is, and who I am in Him. You maintain this joy by fighting for it. Listen, why do you think, I mean, whether you believe or not, why do you think I'm always pressing you into His Word? Because He's not just going to zap you with a lightning bolt. 
He's given you his word, the word he promises that is breathed out by him, the word that is profitable for your coming to faith and your growth in grace, the word that will show you who he is and who you are and who Christ is and what it means that he comes. And therefore, you will trust more and rest more in him. And therefore, you will grow in this joy and zeal and effectiveness for him. But it happens through means. It happens through the means of prayer and reading the Word. And those, those don't necessarily always produce feelings. We walk by faith and not by sight. But you fight to maintain the joy with the means that He's given you. See, we just want to pray and have Him do it, don't we? Aren't we guilty of that? Lord, fill me with joy. And then we just walk out of the house. I'm going to leave you here at the house, Lord, but I want you to fill me with joy as I go out here and live for all this. No, we fight every day to remember who Christ is and remember the gospel. And listen, there's a fight to be made, though, not just on an individual level. We Americans need to get it. We're to be body people. We're to walk in community in Christ. So we're, there's a corporate level that way that we fight for this. Every day maintaining the unity and joy and peace of Christ in His church. How do I do that? How do I invest in the unity of the church and invest in this joy being maintained in God's church? Well, we started talking about it in chapter 12, verse 1. By being a living sacrifice that no longer lives for self, but for Christ who died for them and was raised from the grave. A word-shaped, not world-shaped. Humble, Loving, self-sacrificial brother or sister in Christ. That's what's going to fuel the unity. Forgive others the way you've been forgiven, not because they deserve it. You don't know what they did to me. Well, you don't know what Christ did for you. Joyful, forgiving, loving, compassionate, seeking the best for others, that we've been talking about since chapter 12, verse 1. That's what's going to fuel and maintain this corporate joy. is us individually living like Christ in the midst of one another. Christianity is not an individualistic thing. It's a community thing. We are His flock and He is the shepherd. And as we are taking seriously his command to us to be a living sacrifice for him, he's going to bring to, com- to fil- fulfillment, not just individually, but corporately, us being filled with all joy and peace in believing, us abounding with hope in him, and us being a lighthouse for this gospel. That's why we're here. Look to Christ. Believe He has the fulfillment of God's promises. Believe that He died for you and was buried and raised from the grave for you, that you are forgiven in Him and clothed in His righteousness, a child of God empowered by the Holy Spirit who has the Word of God that we might grow in living for Him and fueling this corporate peace that is ours. It has been purchased for us. Strive to walk in the joy of and peace in believing that is yours in Christ. I'll close with one more. Uh, the second 
verse of joy to the world. Joy to the earth. The Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. While fields and floods and rocks and hills and plains repeat the sounding joy. Repeat the sounding joy. Repeat, repeat the sounding joy. May the God of hope fill you all with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. To live as Christ. Let's pray. Lord, do this work in us. Individually and corporately. Us owning the unity of your church. And us, us, us sacrificing for the unity of your church. Us, because of your love for us. Not that we loved you, but that you loved us and sent your son to be the propitiation for our sins. Because Christ has lived for us and died for us and been raised, is reigning, is returning for us. Because this gospel we've been studying in Romans is true. Help us to joyfully and willingly and growingly be these living sacrifices that you've been teaching us about. Who no longer live for themselves, but for Christ who died for us and was raised from the grave. Work in us to root and ground our comfort and hope in Christ so that we may walk in and be filled with this joy and peace in believing, being empowered by the Holy Spirit to abound in hope. Convert those who don't know you. Show them their need of you, that they are sinners who need a Savior. Show them that the Savior they need is Christ and grant them the new birth through the preaching of the gospel that they might turn and trust and rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. So sanctify the people, your people that know you and save those and justify those that don't, Lord. We lift ourselves up to you and we thank you for your grace. And we pray it all in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus. Amen.